Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We are going through the book of Matthew verse by verse in our normal studies at this church, but we're going to depart from that uh, for this Sunday and especially look at the resurrection day. John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I've already preached on John 20, verses 1 through 18, which is more directly about the resurrection, and, but I haven't preached on these verses that are also on the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead, when He appears to His disciples. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Lord has sent me, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If we withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in my hands, excuse me, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Father, we pray that we would hear from You today. We thank You that we can hear from Christ as if He was standing here before us 
speaking peace be with you. We ask, O Lord, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds, that we would hear from you, that we would be humbled, that we would be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment, that we would would see Christ for who He is, that we would be enabled by the Spirit, all of us, to call Jesus Christ my Lord and my God, that we would we would think about the sign that we see here of His resurrection and, and the other signs that He's given us in the book of John and, and the whole Bible, and that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we might have life in His name. We pray, God, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. God, we pray that Your Spirit would teach us Your Word today. Help me speak only what You want me to speak in the way that You want me to speak it. May I humbly rely upon You and may we humbly rely upon You and may we hear from You, God. We need You. Help us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. As many of you know, a couple weeks ago, there was a elementary school, a Christian elementary school in Nashville, Tennessee, where a gunman entered and, and killed uh, six people, three children and three adults. It's a godly Christian school in line with what we believe as a church. And I, I wanted to watch the uh, first church service that they had. I'll watch the service from today as well. But they met together last Sunday night at a building, church building off campus in Nashville. And it was their first meeting together after this tragedy happened. One of the pastors of the church named Britton Wood opened the service with these words. The world has changed since the last time we got together on the Lord's Day. But there are some things that remain the same. There are a lot of things that are different. But some things haven't changed. And today is the day that we remind That we were reminded by our King who lived for us and who died for us and who has risen for us. Today is the day that He reminds us of the things that have not changed. Of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let that draw us to offer God worship with reverence and awe. Some things are different today. But some things are the same. The world has changed, but our King still reigns. Beloved, that that, that was true for them that day. It's true for us today. It's true every day. And it's really a helpful way to understand the Lord's Day. This is why we meet on the Lord's Day every week. Because we need to be reminded in a world where little children get shot up and killed and sin happens and... Things change for the worse with our own health and families and lives. We need to be reminded every Sunday, every Lord's Day, of the things that do not change. 
Last week I learned of a, of a pastor friend of mine, young man, young man, young couple, and his wife died. Young, young, young pastor, young wife, young family, and his, his wife died. And I, I sent him, I sent him what this pastor said because I thought it would be encouraging to him. And he wrote me back and said, Yes, God is the same, my brother. We miss my wife and the mother of my children. But also know that she is with the Lord and our hope is in Him. May the Lord continue to bless you in your ministry. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And let us continue to go ye therefore into this dark world and shine the light of Jesus. In this kind of world where so many things change, deaths of six people, three little children, a young pastor losing his young wife, his children losing their mother, children diagnosed with disease. There's so much pain and loss and death in this world. And also sin. There's so much sin and rebellion around us. There's so much sin in us. We need to be reminded of what does not change. Who does not change? And His name is Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. In our passage today, we see that Jesus Christ, the God-man and Son of God, gives us peace, power, pardon, and purpose like no one else can because He died on that cross and rose from the dead so that all who repent and believe in Him shall have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, the God-man and Son of God, gives us peace, power, pardon, and purpose like no one else can because He died on that cross and rose up from the dead so that all who repent and believe in Him shall have everlasting life. Point number one, Jesus brings peace on the first day of the week. Look at verse 19 of John 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Beloved, just notice right off the bat, this all happened on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day. This is why we meet today and not yesterday. <laughs> we meet on the first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Let me just review briefly why. <laughs> All seven appearances of Jesus before He ascended back into heaven to His Father that record a specific day when these appearances occurred happened on two Sundays, never on the Sabbath. Christians are recorded in the Bible assembling three times on Sunday after the resurrection and before the ascension, never on the Sabbath. The only time Christians are recorded to have assembled together after Christ's ascension was on a Sunday in Acts 20, verse 7. Never does the Bible record that the disciples assembled on the Sabbath. The day, the only day ever mentioned when Christians broke bread was on Sunday, Acts 20, Seven. Christians are commanded to give financially to the church on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. 
Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power on the first day of the week, Sunday, Romans 1, 4. Psalm 2, 7 says, Today I have begotten you, and it was fulfilled on Sunday, the Lord's Day, when Christ rose from the dead, Acts 13, 32-39. The Apostle John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The only other occurrence of this form of adjective for Lord's is in the New Testament. In the New Testament is of the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. And finally, throughout history, for over 2,000 years, Christians have met together on the first day of the week, ever since Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And it's on this first day of the week that we see one of these appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ to His disciples. And the text tells us, and just notice that the text tells us that. (laughs) The text makes a point to tell us that. Just Oh, oh, one evening, on one evening, Jesus appeared. No, on the first day of the week. God wants us to know that. It's important. And on that first day of the week, Jesus stood among them even though the doors were locked. Jesus was able to go anywhere. Jesus is able to go anywhere He wants. Now, there's a debate over whether He passed through the walls, like He, it, 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 it passed through the grave clothes, or, 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 or the door was just open, it was locked, but, but it was open, and He uh, came through there like in Acts 12, 10, the iron gates opened for Peter of its own accord. But what's clear is Jesus can go anywhere He wants. In the disciples' lives, there... And in your life. And I love this application that John Piper made about this point. Today in your life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. Do you need counseling? Do you need healing? Jesus can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach you and reach into you anywhere at any time. There is no place where you are and no depths of personhood that you are which Jesus cannot penetrate. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits Him to do what no one else can do. There is no one else like Him in all the universe. He is alive and He is the one and only God-man. What He is capable of, you cannot imagine. And it is a healing wonder to contemplate that all the complex layers of your life, which neither you nor anyone else can understand, are familiar territory to Him. Beloved friends, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what pains and griefs you bear that you bring with you this morning. I don't know what trauma and uh, abuse and sadness you faced in the past. But what no counselor and not, no doctor and what no friend and lover, husband, wife, what nothing in this world can fix, Jesus can fix. Jesus can go there and heal. And I would just encourage you to cry out to Him to come to you and know you and heal you and help you. And He will be there just as He was in that room on the first day of the week that we read about in our text.
And we see in our text that Jesus' disciples were afraid. They were afraid. Notice they were afraid for fear of the Jews. The doors were locked. They were concerned. They were in hiding. They had seen what had happened to Jesus. They had seen the the kind of torture and death that he went through, and they were scared and concerned that what happened to Jesus might happen to them. And friends, notice, they, they, they had good, good, in a sense, they had good reason to fear because what happened to them would, ha- what happened to Jesus in the sense that he was killed would happen to them. And if, if, if you're here this morning and you doubt the, the veracity, that's a big word that means the truth of, if, if you doubt the truth of the resurrection, I watched this funny video last night, and it was a betrayal of the 12 disciples after the, 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 after the death of Jesus. And they're like, hey, guys, I know what we should do. We, we, I know he was killed and all, and we're sad, but I've got a plan. Let's go steal the body and then say that he rose from the dead. Oh, yeah, 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 that's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's go do that. And then they'll kill us all. I mean, people actually believe that that's what happened. Why, why, would, why would they die for a lie? Why would they make something up? Oh, yeah, let's make something up that get us tortured and killed and crucified upside down and die. Duh. <laughs> no. They died for it, all of them, except for John, who was exiled, because it really happened. Yeah. He really did get up. He is alive, and He's worthy to die for. He's worthy to give our lives for. They were scared that this was going to happen. And again, I mean, you can, you can think about, again, they're, they're scared to death. And then what, what transformed that terror, that fear, locked doors, hiding to the boldest men you've ever seen who go proclaim the risen Christ and die for it? What happened? They saw the risen Christ. They saw Him. This happened. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a good story to make us feel better when we suffer in this life. No, this happened. And they died for it. But they're scared right now. They're terrified. The doors are locked. But Jesus comes in anyway. Jesus gets in anyway. Jesus stands before them anyway. And Jesus pronounced peace to his fearful disciples three times. Did you know that's three times in the text? Twice here, and then again when he appears the next week, he proclaims, peace be to you. This is a standard greeting. Shalom, shalom, peace be upon you. But Jesus really brings it. This is not just a standard greeting for Jesus. Jesus really brings the peace. What is peace? It's the absence of conflict and trouble. It's the absence of fear. It's the absence of pain and heartache and heartbreak. Peace, calm, well-being, wholeness, satisfaction, joy, confidence, serenity, peace. All is well. All is good. Really. This is what Jesus brings. And blesses his disciples with. Remember Thursday night, the upper room discourse. We read in John 14, 27, he began that discourse with peace and ended that discourse with peace. 
John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he ends that teaching in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. From the beginning to the end, Jesus came to bring peace. Remember the very beginning at His birth? Luke 2.14, the multitude of angels proclaimed glory to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Jesus brought and brings peace with God. Jesus brought and brings peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brought and brings peace with one another. Ephesians 2.14-18 For He Himself is our peace. He's the Prince of Peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Friend, do you know this peace? If you're here this morning, if you're online and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know that apart from Jesus Christ, you only have war with God. You are at war with God. You're not at peace. You're at, you're at conflict with God, at war with God. That's the way the Bible describes the unbeliever. That they're enmity, war, conflict with God. That they hate God. And that God hates them. Mm. Come on. The Bible says God hates sinners. That's right. In the Word. Read the Psalms. Amen. Jacob, I love Esau, I hated. God hates sinners. You are in conflict with Him. He is in conflict with you. He hates you. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that you're dead in trespasses and sins. The, the Bible says you're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible says there's no not, none, none righteous, no not one. There's none who seeks for God. And because you're in this war with God, guess who's going to win? God's going to win. And He's going to cast you into hell forever and ever and ever where there's weeping and burning and gnashing of teeth. But God also loves you. God also loves you. God also loves sinners, the Bible teaches. And so He did something to save you from everlasting wrath and torment in hell under His judgment and curse. Namely, He sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus, the God-man into the world. Because He loves you, He gave His only begotten Son to come into the world and, and live a life that no man ever lived, a love like no man ever lived. 
Make blind people see and deaf people hear and cleanse lepers and cast out demons as we've been seeing in the book of Matthew. Raise people from the dead. He would preach like no man ever preached. Love like no man ever loved. And trust God and obey like no one's ever trusted God and obeyed. And then he would go, the man who, the man of all men who did not deserve to die and face the wrath of God, he took upon himself your and my sins. The sin bearer. He, he, he was made sin who knew no sin. And he was hung on that cross, hanged on that cross, and he took God's curse and wrath and judgment. He bore the hell that you and I deserve. And he died. And he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He rose up from the dead. He's alive. He, he conquered sin, death, and hell. As, as Shailen says, uh, Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. But Jesus is alive. If you're a Muslim here today, we want you to know Prophet Muhammad can't help you. He's dead and eaten by worms. He cannot save you. You will end up dead like him. You need a risen Savior, a risen King. If you're a Buddhist here, Buddha cannot save you. He's dead. You'll end up dead like Him. Jesus conquered death. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one that conquered death. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And you must believe. You must trust in Christ. You must turn from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't work for this. You can't earn it. As I mentioned last week, Muslims are fasting right now during Ramadan to try to earn God's favor. You can't earn God's favor. You can't do anything to earn God's favor. You, you can simply receive the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. To all who did receive Him, He gave the right to become children of God. You must receive Him by faith alone. Friend, have you done that? I'm inviting everyone here today, young and old, who have, have not received Christ, believed on Him, please believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Believe on Him now and be saved. Father, we pray that You would fall on people now, Holy Spirit, that You would waken people from the dead spiritually, that You would waken young people, that You would give new hearts, that You would cause people to be born again right now and believe in the risen Christ and be saved. Friend, if you want to come and talk to me afterwards, I want to talk with you about this, pray with you afterwards, find another Christian, speak to them. We want you to leave here born again and not as a child of God's wrath headed for hell. Jesus gives peace this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified means forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, and counted righteous in Christ. God actually counts Christ's righteousness to you. Therefore, you have peace with God. No more enmity, no more conflict, no more war, forgiveness and peace. Point number two, notice Jesus rose from the dead with His crucified physical body. Look at verse 20. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Beloved, you need to know this. Jesus rose from the dead bodily, physically, with a physical body. And you need to know that because there are churches all over the world today that celebrate this, oh, He rose from the dead in our hearts. 
He rose from the dead figuratively. Not really. I mean, we, we're smart people now. We're scientific. We know dead people don't get up. Churches teach that today. Thankfully, they're declining, and we hope nobody will keep going because it's hogwash. It's scubalon. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead bodily. And we see that in this text. There He is before them. He, he's showing them the, the scars in His hands and, and, and the spear scar in His side. We, we know this from Luke 24, 39-43. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He, he was encouraging His disciples to touch Him. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I have a, a real physical body. And we had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here, here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Jesus rose from the dead bodily. He, he has a, a true physical body with the scars from the cross still on it forever. Beloved, wonder at the resurrection. Wonder at the power of the resurrection. Listen to what Stephen Sharnock says about the power of the resurrection. Divine power was apparent in his resurrection. The unlocking of the belly of the whale for the deliverance of Jonah. The rescue of Daniel from the lion's den. And the restraining of the fire from the burning three children uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace were signal declarations of God's power and types of resurrection of our Savior. But what are those to that which was represented by them? That was a power over natural causes, a curbing of beasts and restraining of elements. But in the resurrection of Christ, God exercised a power over Himself and quenched the flames of His own wrath, hotter than millions of Nebuchadnezzar's furnaces, unlocked the prison doors wherein the curses of the law had lodged our Savior stronger than the belly and ribs of a Leviathan. In the rescue of Daniel and Jonah, God overpowered beasts and in this tore up the strength of the old serpent and plucked the scepter from the hand of the enemy of mankind. The work of resurrection indeed, considered in itself, requires the efficacy of an almighty power. Neither man nor angel can create new dispositions in a dead body to render it capable of lodging a spiritual soul, nor can they restore a dislodged soul by their own power to such a body. The restoring of a dead body to life requires an infinite power, as well as the creation of the world. But there was in the resurrection of Christ something more difficult than this. While He lay in the grave, He was under the curse of the law. Under the execution of that dreadful sentence, you shall not, you shall die the death. His resurrection was not only the retying of the marriage knot between the soul and body or the rolling of the stone from the grave, but a taking off of an infinite weight, the sin of mankind which lay upon him. So vast a weight could not be removed without the strength of an almighty arm. It is therefore ascribed not to an ordinary operation, but an operation with power. Romans 1.4. And such a power wherein the glory of the Father did appear, raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Romans 6, 4. That is the glorious power of God. As the eternal generation is stupendous, so is His resurrection, which is called a new beginning of Him. A new begetting of Him. Acts 13, 33. Beloved, just stand amazed at the power of the resurrection of Christ. And Jesus has, notice, the, the, Jesus has the scars in His hands and side forever. 
forever emblems, forever emblems of his grace and love and mercy for sinners. He, he still bears those scars in his resurrection body. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we will sing praises to the Lamb who was slain for all eternity as we even see those scars in His body, reminding us of our sin, of our need for a Savior, reminding us of what He had to go through that we might be saved. And that will be our joy for all eternity. And that's what happens to the disciples. Seeing Jesus makes the disciples glad. Did you notice that? They see Him and they are glad. Beloved, have you ever experienced anything like that in your life? Absolutely heartbroken. Absolutely destitute. Absolutely at a loss. You've lost everything. Everything that mattered, you've lost. And then there He is appearing before you. What joy! What joy! What joy must have filled their souls when they had lost everything, all their hopes, all their dreams, their lover, their husband, their Messiah, their King, their Lord, the one who Peter confessed that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's cursed. He's forsaken. And they're scared and alone and frightened. What happened? We didn't know, we didn't think it was going to go this way. How could it have gone this way? What happened? All is lost. All hope is lost. And then, boom, there he is. Woo! I was wrong. There he is. There he is. He's alive. Yes. Yes. Everything is good. Peace, joy. There's Christ. He did what he said. Why didn't we get it? Why didn't we get it? He told us he was going to do this. He's alive. Everything sad has become untrue. As one author says. And there he is. The disciples are glad. What could be better than seeing the resurrected Christ? What could be better than seeing Jesus? Oh, beloved, does seeing Jesus make you glad? Is there anything in this world that gives you more joy than seeing Jesus. Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there's nothing I desire besides you. Father, make that true in our hearts. Point number three, Jesus sends out His disciples, and so we've seen peace, and now we get to purpose. Jesus sends out His disciples. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus didn't send his disciples out in the exact same way that his Father sent him out. The disciples don't go out and die for the sins of the world. But as the Father sent Jesus out to trust and obey and to seek and to save the lost, so Jesus sent his disciples out to obey him and to seek and to save the lost by preaching the gospel message. John Piper comments, is speaking as if he's Christ. He sent me as light. He, my Father, sent me Jesus as light. I'm sending you as light. He sent me as truth. I'm sending you as truth. 
He sent me as a witness. I'm sending you as a witness. He sent me to love. I'm sending you to love. And I'll add these. He sent me to serve others. I'm sending you to serve others. He sent me to lay down my life for others. I'm sending you to lay down your life for others, not paying for their sins, but denying yourselves so that others may hear the gospel. This is basically John's version of the Great Commission. And yes, it is to his disciples, his apostles, but, but, but this transfers to us, his disciples, and to his church. And that's the mission of our church. At Alney Baptist, uh, Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus sends his disciples out with purpose. They have the peace. And now we need to take the peace to the world. And so we have a purpose as his followers. His disciples did, and so do we. We need to take this message to the world. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. We want to tell people. Otherwise, they're going to die and go to hell. And we want to love God and love people so that we warn them, tell them about the Savior. Number four. Jesus grants His disciples a symbolic foretaste of the Holy Spirit. This is power. Peace, purpose, power. They need power to do the purpose. And so He gives them a foretaste of His Holy Spirit. Jesus grants His disciples a symbolic foretaste of His Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the same as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. How do we know that? Because John 16, 7, John 16, 7 says, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. So He's got to go away for the Helper to come to them in that Acts 2 sense. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So what is this? This is a symbolic foretaste of what God will do in Acts 2. I like how Mark Dever put it. It's a symbol or a foretaste or a parable of what God is going to do in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. They will need the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus is starting the new humanity here. He's breathing life into His people. He's recalling back to what God did in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from dust from the ground and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Same word in the Greek Old Testament there, for He breathed. Jesus breathed life into them. He's recalling that and giving a similar foretaste of what's to come in Acts chapter 2. I like how D.A. Carson puts it. Jesus' exhalation and command receive the Holy Spirit are best understood as a kind of acted parable pointing forward to the full endowment, the giving of the Holy Spirit still to come, though in the past for John's readers. A suitable Johannine analogy might be the washing of the disciples' feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, John 13, 8. That can be read at a simplistic level as exhausted in the foot washing, 
Readers with more insight understand that the foot washing itself points forward to the spiritual washing achieved by the Lamb of God, whose death takes away the sin of the world. John has repeatedly developed these anticipating steps in his narrative. It is not surprising if he uses one more to show that the story does not end with his book. And so this is a symbol or parable, a foretaste of the Spirit being poured out own God's people for the empowerment to witness, to carry out their purpose of spreading the good news of the gospel, that they might be bold, empowered, changed. That's when we see that change in Acts 2, from being cowardly and scared to boldly going forth and proclaiming the gospel. And we get a foretaste here. But, but, but beloved, also notice this. this. This shows us again that Jesus is God. As God breathed life into the first man in Genesis 2-7, so Jesus gives us this picture of Him breathing new spiritual life into His disciples. This is why we believe the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. He breathes out and says, Receive the Spirit. And He said in John 16-7, I will send Him, the Helper, the Spirit, to you. Jesus is God. And beloved, be reminded that Jesus' disciples then and we do now need the power of the Holy Spirit to be Christ's witnesses. We cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to empower us, to guide us. We need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to guide us and lead us that we might be faithful witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, empower us, strengthen us to do what you want us to do. Number five. Jesus grants the church her mission. Pardon is also their purpose. Pardon is also their purpose. Look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this starts with the forgiveness of sins. The church is called to make disciples of Jesus Christ by teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This starts with the proclamation of the gospel so that sinners might be forgiven. This is the first step. I met a guy at Broughton Olney this week and he was so big on, we got to tell people to be obedient. You have to tell people to be obedient. They got to obey. You ain't going to get to heaven unless you obey. We got all these people saying it's okay to sin, it's okay to do that. You got to tell them obey, 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 obey. And I wanted to, to, to say, well, Yeah, but you can't obey unless you first get changed. (laughs) You can't obey unless you first get born again. There has to be a change that takes place. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And only when you're born again and changed can you then obey by the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, if you just tell people to obey, 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 they can be doing that with willpower, their own strength. You know, there are a lot of disciplined people in the world that just do things because of willpower. That doesn't give God any glory and it's not the fruit of God's work. You must first be born again. You must first be changed. And, and He changes your heart, your mind, your desire so that you fall in the love with God and fall in love with His commands and so that you begin to do them out of joy and love for Him, not to earn anything from Him, but you realize you've been given everything in Christ that you receive freely by faith alone. And so then you just you obey because you're a new creature. You're a new person in Christ. You have the Spirit. You're united with Jesus. And so you obey out of love and joy and out of who you are as a new person in Christ. 
And so our mission is to preach the gospel that people might be forgiven of their sins. That they might be forgiven of their sins and be saved. Andreas Kostenberger writes, the idea of this verse is not that individual Christians or churches have authority on their own to forgive or not forgive people, but rather that as the church proclaims the gospel message of forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit, it proclaims that those who believe in Jesus have their sins forgiven that those who do not believe in Him do not have their sins forgiven, which simply reflects what God in heaven has already done. Or John Piper comments, when you tell people about what I have done, again, he's speaking as if he were Christ, when you tell people about what I've done, speaking my word about my work and the power of my spirit, I am the one speaking through you. So that if anyone believes your word, I forgive their sins. And if any does not believe your words, I don't forgive them. And since you are my voice and my truth, I speak of you forgiving them and you withholding forgiveness. Beloved, we see this happen in, in the, our life uh, in the church. So as this authority was given to the apostles, it's passed on to the church. And that's why as the church, we're called to make sure people we bring in for membership know and understand the gospel. Make sure that they're forgiven. And then we can, in a ministerial sense, pronounce you are forgiven. Because the Bible says if you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. And then when people refuse to follow Jesus, refuse to repent of sin, and we have to uh, uh, act out church discipline and say you can no longer be a member here because you're not acting like a Christian, it, it appears to us that your sins are not forgiven, that you're not following Christ. And so we preach the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. And beloved, why do we long for the forgiveness of sins? Why, why do we want to be forgiven? I mean, what, what, what bottom line, what, what, what do we get from the forgiveness of sins? I love John Piper's book, God is the Gospel. <laughs> why, why is justification good news? Why is forgiveness good news? Why is adoption good news? Why, why, who, who cares about those? Why? Because we get God. Forgiveness brings us into a relationship with the greatest being in the universe, our husband in heaven, who alone can satisfy our soul. Forgiveness brings us back to God. We long for God. We love God. We delight in God. That's why we want forgiveness. So that we might be at peace with God. Well, next, we see unbelieving Thomas. Point number six, unbelieving Thomas. At first I called it doubting Thomas. That's what everybody calls him. But, but, but I think he's unbelieving. He's not just doubting. He was unbelieving Thomas. Look at verses 24 to 25. John 20, 24 through 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails I, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Mm. Thomas is unbelieving. Thomas wants to see for himself. Thomas wants to touch for himself. Oh, he trusts his senses. If, if I could just see with my eyes, if I could just touch with my hands, then I would believe. But unless, unless I can, he says, I will never believe. That's pretty strong language. That ain't just doubting. 
That's not just doubting Thomas. That's unbelieving Thomas, especially when you think of what he's been through with Jesus. Thomas believes his eyes and his hands more than the eyewitness testimony of his 10 disciple friends. He believes his own eyes and hands more than he believes the word of Jesus Christ who told him numerous times that he would die and rise again. He's believing his hands and eyes more than he believes the word of God in the Old Testament that Jesus told them testified that the Christ must suffer and rise again. He trusts himself. We want to know. We want to see. We are God. From last week, right? Oh, if I can do it, then it's true because I'm God. That's essentially what we're saying. That's what Thomas is saying. Carl Robbins said, Thomas basically says, I will not believe your ten collective eyewitness testimony. I will only believe my ten fingers when I can jam them into the side of Jesus. Beloved, learn this from Thomas. God's Word is more trustworthy than your senses. God's Word is more trustworthy than your senses. And I could go on a long tirade about how your senses lie to you. And they're wrong often. This is never wrong. This is, has no errors. This is trustworthy. Because God is trustworthy. God's Word is more trustworthy than your senses. Remember the rich man in Lazarus? Remember the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16? The rich man is in hell, suffering God's wrath, and he's crying out to Father Abraham, please, please, Please have mercy. Please go warn others. I'm going to read Luke 16, 27 through 31. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets. They don't need somebody to come back from the dead. If they won't believe this, they ain't going to believe some sensational miracle. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be conceived, convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets... They're not going to be convinced if someone rises from the dead. I could do some kind of crazy trick for y'all to, to try to make you believe in Jesus. And if you haven't believed into him up to this point, you're still going to die and go to hell no matter what great trick I do. You realize that? Because God has to open your heart. And no matter what tricks and fan things I do up here and miracles people do, you're not going to believe if you won't believe the book. So cry out to God to open your eyes to believe the book. To believe the gospel. Galatians 1, 8 and 9, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, which is right here, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. 
Friends, if you're here this morning as an unbelieving Thomas and you think you got to see, oh, if I could just see, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Believe what God has said. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Don't be an unbelieving Thomas. Believe the gospel and be saved. Number seven, Jesus reveals Himself to Thomas. Jesus reveals Himself to Thomas. Look at verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, so on the next Lord's Day, His disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your, out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He, he, he answered Thomas's every demand. Unless I do this, unless I do this, unless I do this, I will never believe. Jesus said, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. And don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Amen. Beloved, this is a merciful revelation, right? Yeah. Jesus didn't have to do this. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to do this, but notice again the compassion, the mercy, the love, the condescension, how Jesus is willing to stoop to these, this unbelieving disciple Thomas and love him in that way. Friend, he'll love you that way. Do, do, do you have a harsh view of God? That he's going to pound you, that he's out to get you, that he's up there waiting for you to make a wrong step so he can pounce on you? That's not God. I think I personally struggle with that view of God. And I have to be reminded by, by Jesus' life, that's not who Jesus is. He's not just going to pound me over and over when I fail over and over. He's going to come to me in gentleness and tenderness. And He's going to correct me. And He's going to help me believe when I'm weak. And that's what he does here. He stoops down and mercifully reveals himself to Thomas. Jesus gives Thomas what he asked for. This is sheer mercy. And, and he wants Thomas to believe. Jesus wants Thomas to believe. Remember, beloved, this is how we're saved. We must believe in Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And, and beloved, notice this about what Jesus says and does. Jesus knew what Thomas thought and said a week ago. Jesus is God. Did you notice that? I didn't notice this until Sinclair Ferguson told me when I was listening to his sermon on it. <laughs> I didn't notice this in the text myself. But, 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 but Thomas was there when Jesus, when he thought Jesus wasn't. Oh, he was there. Thomas couldn't see him, but Jesus was there. <laughs> and, and Thomas said, unless I see and touch and feel and hear and do all that, I will never believe. Well, Jesus knew all that because Jesus was there. Jesus was there. 
And he just comes right in eight days later and charges in Thomas. Thomas, do this, do this, do this, and do this. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Jesus was there. Sinclair Ferguson said Thomas couldn't see Jesus when he said all those things uh, about unless I see in, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I'll never believe. But Jesus was there. Jesus knew his words and his thoughts. Jesus was there. Jesus is here. Jesus is omnipresent with respect to his divine nature. Jesus is God Almighty. Number eight, believing Thomas's great confession. Look at John 20, 28. Thomas answered him. We don't know if Thomas did, had to do any of those things. The text doesn't tell us whether he actually, okay, let me gouge my fingers in and do my prodding. The text doesn't say. It seems like he just saw and all unbelief fled away. And, and, and Thomas gives us one of the clearest confessions that Jesus is God in the Bible. Look at John 20, 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Now, you're, the, the people that hate God and hate Jesus and say that Jesus wasn't God, they, they make an astounding claim that Jesus is just doing an OMG. That is ridiculous. That is blasphemy. A Jew would never do that. They don't use God's name in vain like that. They don't say, oh my Lord and oh my God like we do and take God's name in vain. You could get stoned for that kind of thing in the Old Covenant. You don't take God's name upon your lips that way. And, and Thomas directs this to Jesus. He said to him, my Lord and my God. He is declaring that Jesus is his Lord and his God. Thomas goes from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs confessionally. You must make this confession to be saved. Yes. That's what I tell my Muslim friends, my Jehovah's Witness friends, my Mormon friends. You must call Jesus my Lord and my God or you will not be saved. This is not just some bumper sticker. The reason I, I care about wearing this on everything I have, I, I, I even talked to somebody about getting a tattoo on my forehead. Jesus is God. Because this is so central to what it means to be saved. Yes. And it's so central to all the errors that, that plague our, our world. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, Hebrew Israelites, all these false religions deny that Jesus is God. For those of you concerned, I'm not going to get a tattoo on my forehead. Okay? I'm tempted. Jesus is God. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, you must make this confession to be saved. And, and, and this truth is the way John's gospel begins and ends. And, and this great confession is made there. And these truths are scattered all throughout the gospel in between. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and we know from verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, uh, the Word is, 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 Christ, is God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, with God, so distinct. They're not the same person, oneness people. Any oneness people here, oneness Pentecostals, they have a different God too. They have a different God. It's a false gospel. They don't have a triune God. They can't be saved unless they repent. 
The Word was with God, so two distinct persons. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. and Without Him was not anything made that was made. That means He wasn't made. John 5.18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. John 5.22 and 23, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. John 8.58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the name of God Almighty from Exodus 3.14. When Moses asked him from the burning bush, what's your name? And God said, I am who I am. And then Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up stones to kill him. You know, that's why he got killed. Because he said things like this. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 14.9, Jesus said to him, have you been with me so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What a confession by Thomas. My Lord and my God. This this is a kind of climax to the book of the confession of who Jesus is. And Jesus pronounces, number nine, Jesus pronounces blessing on those who walk by faith. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the second and last blessing that Jesus gives in John's gospel. And beloved, this blessing is for you. This blessing is for you. You're the people he's talking about. You have not seen. <laughs> you, you, you have not seen. And, and some people, oh, I've seen Jesus. Well, not like they did. <laughs> you, you've not seen him like they did. And he's giving you a blessing here. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you believe? Yeah. Then Jesus says you are blessed. Hallelujah. You are blessed by God. You all haven't seen and yet you believe. This is, this is what faith is. It's the opposite of sight. We don't see. We don't understand. Right? We, we so often want to see. We, we so often want to see. What is God doing? I don't understand this. Why did this happen? This makes no sense in my life, God. Why would you do this? We don't see, but we believe that He's good, that He's God, that He's sovereign, that He knows what He's doing, that He loves me because Jesus died for me and rose for me. I don't see, but I believe that's what faith is. Blessed are you if you believe when you haven't seen. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Blessed are you, beloved, who walk by faith and not by sight. And finally, number 10, the purpose of John's gospel 
What's the purpose of John's gospel? He tells us in these last two verses that you may see these signs and believe and have life in Jesus' name. Look at verses 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is the purpose statement of the whole Gospel of John. These miracles that we see in the book of John and this great, greatest miracle, the resurrection, were done and written down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Anointed One. He is the King, the Prophet, Priest, and King. The Savior of the world. That He is the Son of God. He is God's only begotten Son. Truly God and truly man. Who shows us the glory of the Father. With the result that you may have everlasting life. Friend, have you believed in Him? Have you believed in Him? Belief consists of knowledge, knowing certain facts, and, 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 and we've told you many of them today. Uh, uh, belief is assenting to those, 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 those facts, saying, yes, this is true, this historically happened, but guess what? The devil has that kind of belief. Yeah. The devil knows all the things we're talking about, and the devil believes they're true, that they actually happened. The devil believes Jesus died and rose from the dead. He's going to hell. So it's not just enough to know the truth. It's not just enough to believe it's true, like it really happened. You have to trust. You have to trust Him. You have to trust Him. Like the Heidelberg Catechism says, my only hope in life and in death is that I belong body and soul to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is my all in all. I fall into His arms and, and plead His mercy. You must trust Him. Have you believed and trusted Him? Jesus Christ, the God-man and Son of God, gives us peace. He gives us power. He gives us pardon from sins. He gives us purpose to tell the world about Him like no one else can because He died on that cross bearing the wrath of God and curse of God, taking our sins upon Himself and rose up from the dead with all power and authority. So that all who repent, who turn from sin and turn to God and believe in Him shall have everlasting life. Christ Jesus appeared, spoke a peace affirmation. Behind locked doors stood our firm foundation. The first of the week He rose for salvation after dying alone, our propitiation. His hands and His feet marked with scars of damnation. The disciples were glad with joy elation as His Father sent Him for our justification. He sends us out for soul transformation, breathed out His Spirit for new creation. Forgiveness in Him affirms the congregation. Thomas wasn't there at the first celebration. Then he saw with his eyes to make confirmation. My Lord and my God was His great exclamation. Blessed are those who haven't seen on location, but trust in Christ alone for no condemnation. These signs have been given for the incarnation, so you'll believe He's the Christ, God's Son revelation, and worship and praise Him with all adoration. And beloved, just notice, I want to end this way. Some people have been asking for this. So I'm going to, going to deliver on Easter Sunday. John 20, 31, it says there, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That basically means that Jesus is the King. Uh-huh. Come on now. Is He your King? Amen. That's my King today. I'm going to read this 
to end our service today. If you haven't got one of these, there's some on the back table. I would encourage you to get one and enjoy it. Listen to it online. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Rock, Lockridge preached this description of King Jesus. He is our risen King today, and we're going to celebrate Him by hearing these words again. Lockridge says, My King was born King. The Bible says He's a seven-way King. He's the King of the Jews. That's an ethnic King. He's the King of Israel. That's a national King. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. Now, that's my King. David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. My King is the only one of whom there's no means of measure that can define His limitless love. My King is a sovereign King. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of His shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder Him from pouring out His blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my King. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's the sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. That's my King. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and He saves. He's the Almighty God who guides and keeps all His people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And He beautifies the meek. Do you know Him? My King is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's governor of governors. He's prince of princes. He's king of kings. And he's lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Beloved, would you receive him as your king as well? And he is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed.
And if I knew how to whoop like Anthony, I'd start it, but I don't know how. He's got to teach me. Amen. God is good. Father, thank you for our King. Thank you for King Jesus. Thank you for this day that we remember His resurrection from the dead. Thank you that there's no one like Him, that no one can even compare with Him. Thank you, Lord, that we could gather here today and sing about Him. Lord, that we could be with one another and and see one another and hug one another and encourage one another. Lord, that we could pray to You and praise You about Him. Lord, that we could listen to Your Word that Jesus spoke to His disciples there that first Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we thank You. You have been good to us. Your steadfast love, Your mercy endures forever. Father, we pray for anyone who may be here today that has not come to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We pray that they would see it now and believe on Him and be saved. Father, we pray for everyone else here that is a believer. We ask, O God, that we would keep believing and keep trusting that You are with us, that You will help us no matter what trials we face, no matter what losses, what pains. Lord, we pray that You would remind us of these truths that never change. Remind us of our Jesus who never changes. God, remind us, remind us that though the world changes, though little girls get shot and killed in schools, though horrible accidents happen, though though young mothers and wives die, though we get terrible news from doctors and hard things happen in our lives, God, though our lives change so much, in so many ways that bring pain and suffering, Lord, remind us today of these truths that do not change, of our Jesus who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And may we hope in Him. Lord, we believe. Lord, help our unbelief. And help us go and spread the Word about Him. And help us live for You, God, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.